This is The Point, professional investing in Australia with Pendle. Welcome to The Point podcast from Pendle. Today, I'm speaking to Amy Shear-Patrick, Portfolio Manager for Income and Fixed Interest at Pendle Group. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Sean. Now, China is the world's second largest economy and potentially within the decade will become the largest. It's Australia's biggest trading partner. What happens in China matters to the rest of the world. Amy, we've heard plenty about the property sector in China being in trouble and the debt-ridden Evergrande Group. What's happening in the Chinese property market and why does it matter? Well, that's a really important question, Sean, and you're absolutely right. The property sector is really at the heart of what's been driving the Chinese economy over the past decade, if not more, and especially since the GFC. China's economy is still around 40% driven by investment, and the property-related side of investment is at least one-third of that, if not more, in times of market stress. Property developers, they need access to funding, which allows them to buy land, And that buying of land from local governments is what provides local governments with the fiscal firepower to pursue infrastructure investment. This kind of investment accounts for yet another third of overall Chinese investment. So the property sector is very much tied to local government's fiscal purses there. But more than just to the local government side, a healthy property market with rising prices make consumers more willing to buy off plan and pay hefty deposits to do so. Now, in developed markets such as Australia and in the US, a lot of those deposits would be kept in escrow. But in China, these deposits form yet again a very crucial source of funding for developers. More importantly, I think for the Chinese people, property works as a store of value, a store of their wealth, and definitely a way of saving, a savings mechanism for the Chinese people. So if they view the market to be shaky, which they currently do, the wealth effect then kicks in and erodes their confidence to spend. And property itself also directly leads to retail spending, primarily through white goods and furnishings, as you'd expect when you buy a new house, you need to furnish it, you need to buy things like washing machines and dishwashers. But property also leads to higher car sales in China, because quite often when people go from renting to buying, They're usually buying further afield in the suburban Mm -hmm. areas where they then need to buy a car in order to facilitate their daily commute. So the property sector is at the center of what makes the Chinese economy hum. And that's why it's so important. Okay. And Beijing's worried about the debt levels of the Chinese property market. Is that correct at the moment? Absolutely. So this is what the current deleveraging attempt has been about. And we've seen since 2015 that Beijing has tried several times to rein debt in for the Chinese economy. The Chinese economy has almost a debt addiction to the way that it grows. And especially every time it comes across a hurdle and is on the brink of a hard landing, that investment lever has been so easy to pull, but every time it takes more and more debt to fuel it. In 2015, that hard landing meant that all of a sudden the Chinese government had to U-turn on their deleveraging campaign and a whole load of debt-fueled investment flowed into the property sector of the economy. In 2017 and 18, once again, there was a deleveraging campaign, this time targeted on shadow lending, but this was railroaded by Trump's trade war and eventually the COVID pandemic. So again, they had to do a 180 and let 
credit flow into the property market again. So this time they are targeting primarily the property sector, but the leverage that comes in that property sector is now at very heady heights, as you said, Sean, with the Evergrande debacle. But rather than trying to ease off the, the reins this time around as the Chinese economy heads further south in terms of its growth rate, I think that the Chinese government's intentions are a little bit different this time. So you think it will put up with a slower growth rate than has been in recent decades? Yes, and this is even a, a natural point of evolution for any economy. You know, as the economy is emerging and going through a high rate of industrialization and urbanization, you'd expect a higher growth rate. And as an economy matures, you'd expect that steady state growth rate come down. In 2015, I would describe China's pain threshold with respect to its growth rate to have been around about 7% of GDP. When they tried deleveraging again in 2017 and 18, that pain threshold came down to around 6 to 6.5% of GDP. The market currently assumes that the Chinese government won't really let the Chinese economy fall below 5% of growth. But last quarter, we already saw that Chinese GDP at an annualized pace fell to 4.9%. I think the pain threshold is lower this time. Okay. So what's that mean for Australia and the rest of the global economy? Well, that's a really important question. And as you said, for Australia, China is our largest trading partner. And normally in times like this, what you see with a slowdown, especially in Chinese property sector, which is so commodities heavy and dependent on the commodities that Australia exports, it's really bad news for the Australian economy. But what's good this time around is that having seen China go through so many ups and downs with its property sector on the back of so many deleveraging campaigns by Beijing, that Australia's reliance on resource exports has gotten a lot more muted, especially with respect to China. And what's also more important for Australia this time round is that even though China's building and construction activity is slowing down and probably will remain on that slowing path in 2022, what you see with the rest of the world is that coming back from COVID lockdowns and shutdowns, in activity and in mobility, that you're getting a pickup in construction activity everywhere else in the world, mm -hmm. everywhere from Europe to the US. And as a result, for the Australian economy, that reliance on China, especially on the resources side, is a bit less this time. And what we may be able to count on more in the coming months from China is that if border restrictions are able to open more quickly, especially for the students, that's probably another source of revenue coming back for Australia. But more importantly, this time around for Australia, coming back from COVID ourselves, we'll see a resurgence in our own domestically driven demand, which should help to offset some of these headwinds coming from China. If we bring all that back to an investment picture, what's the China story mean in terms of portfolio construction? We think that it means that you need to be a lot more region specific when you're looking at your portfolio construction, especially for a fixed income portfolio. So when we think about where we want our interest rate exposures, more recently from a global perspective, inflation has been a big theme and that has driven a pretty decent sell-off in bond yields across the major markets globally. That has not been the case in China. And here we see an opportunity for cross-market expressions whereby a slow down in China will continue to keep downward pressures on yields there, whereas continued optimism about economic reopening coupled with continued fears about inflation in the rest of the world should see some more upward pressure on yields in places such as the US and to a lesser extent in Australia. 
And in terms of broader fixed income portfolios where we have exposure to credit, for example, we are particularly aware of areas of credit that are more closely tied to the Chinese slowdown story and the Chinese construction story. But at the same time, we don't think that Beijing is going to drive the economic bus off a cliff. And as a result, we think that any concerns that are overplayed in that respect, and to the extent it translates into contagion into our investment grade markets in Australia, will present an opportunity for our income funds to be able to pick up credit at better yields and better spreads. Amy, thank you for talking to The Point. Thank you, Sean. That was Amy Shea-Patrick, Portfolio Manager for Income and Fixed Interest at Pendle Group. You've been listening to The Point Podcast from Pendle. I'm Sean Aylmer.